friend. Thanks for checking out the Crosspoint Church podcast. It's our hope that these messages will encourage you to grow and thrive in your relationship with Christ. You can find more like this at thecrosspoint.com. Well, we are in a series on the Ten Commandments. We're talking about the Big Ten and what is God's heart behind them. So last week, what a strong message from Pastor Josh on covetousness and stealing, putting those two together, number eight and number 10. And we're gonna go back and look at number nine in our last installment on the Ten Commandments today. Well, I'm not, you know, as we look at this uh, topic today, I was thinking about it and thinking about, I'm just not a great liar, uh, which I guess is a good thing, but I, I just, you know, I couldn't, couldn't really fake it too well when I was growing up trying to lie to my parents. It just didn't work that well. On the other hand, I had some friends. They could have won an Oscar, man. They could like lie, bold face, not blink, no red in the face. And my brother went through a phase like that. He could lie to my parents and just like look at them right in the eye. I couldn't do that. Uh, but, but I have had my moments where I've struggled with honesty. And so if I'm gonna be honest today, which I guess I should be since we're talking about not lying, I've had some emails that when I get them in my inbox, I'm thinking, how can I get out of this? I know none of you have ever had this experience, but maybe some event that you're being asked to attend, I said, man, we would love for you to be there, and you're thinking, I don't wanna go. So how can I get out of it? You know, so you know, I'm thinking, well, I could say my wife and I have plans, which, you know, sort of true. Uh, I'm not feeling great, but that's today, and that's then, <laughs> so that won't work. And so I go through this wrestling match and think about ways I could just sort of skate by, but usually honesty wins out, and I try to find a nice, kind, but truthful way to decline. Why is it that we're tempted in this area. Can you imagine if the world was true all the time? Like if the internet was totally scrubbed of everything false, wouldn't that be an amazing world? I don't think there'd be anything left, would there be? Uh, what if when we told a fib, we spun the truth, wasn't quite true, what if there was an immediate physical reaction in our body? <laughs> like our nose grew, our ears grew, or suddenly we started talking like, uh, who was the guy from Star Wars years ago, Jaja Binks? We just, you know, just couldn't, couldn't get the words out if you started lying. And the truth is, we, we stretch the truth sometimes, and man, this world is, is full of it full of the sort of truth. Maybe you're looking in on Christianity and it occurs to you, maybe you think, well, you know, everybody does it, everybody lies, so what's the big deal? But isn't there part of you that says, man, I think the world would be a better place if we just told the truth, if what people said, they actually meant and that's what they did. Does truth matter 
in a world where it doesn't seem to matter. God says it does. In the ninth commandment, he says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Oh, it seems pretty easy, pretty simple. Just don't do it. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. And maybe some of us here today, we think, okay, well, it sounds like that God is concerned about justice and that when you go to court, don't lie about your neighbor. And so maybe some of you think at just first glance, well, you know, if my neighbor ever goes to court, I promise to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, and I'm not gonna lie. Check, got that done. But as we've seen with all the commandments, we're trying to understand what is God's heart behind it? Why does he even mention this? What, what does he mean? What, what, is, what is the purpose of a commandment like this? And as we look at that, we immediately are confronted with this word, neighbor. This is the first, in the Ten Commandments, the first time that God mentions neighbor. And this word here, according to scholars that I looked at this week, this word in the Hebrew doesn't mean the person who lives in your cul-de-sac. This isn't a person that's necessarily close in proximity. What it means is anyone that you have contact with or that you deal with or potentially will deal with. You will not bear false witness against anyone you're in proximity to. Not just the people who live next door to you on your street. And what is God's heart with this? Well, the Ten Commandments were not written to us. They weren't written to Christians. They were written to former slaves who were coming out of Egypt into a new place. They were on their way to a land of freedom. God says, I'm taking you there. I've lifted you up on eagle's wings. He says in Exodus chapter 19, I did this for you. I brought you out. So I am your God. So serve me. I I, want to be your only God. And this is going to be the way that you're going to reveal who I am to the world. They're going to see my nature through you. So here are the 10 commandments. It's sometimes called the 10 words. These are the statements that God gives to them to demonstrate his nature in a new society. So this is the way I want you to live. I want you to live like you are mine, like you belong to me. And so what does this have to do with me and you? Why does God care? Immediately, I was confronted with this and just think, why does God care about us telling the truth? And here's what first came to mind. Because God always tells the truth. God doesn't lie. Isn't that good news? It's like, if God says something about me and you, if he says, I love you, I won't leave you, if he says, I'm gonna forgive you, I've got heaven in store for you, we can know God always tells the truth. So since God tells the truth, he says, I want the people who are called by my name to reflect that as my image bearers. But here's what we see. If we go through the Bible, if you've read through the Bible at all, you see this tension between truth and untruth. 
Right from the very beginning, enter Genesis chapter three. We're not even three chapters into the Bible, and what happens? A serpent slithers into the garden, the perfect paradise that God had created for Adam and Eve, and suggests to them a spin on what God said. And he begins by saying, just suggestion, did God really say, don't eat of the trees in the garden. And Eve talks to him a little bit and says, well, God didn't say don't eat of the trees of the garden. He said don't eat of that tree or we will die. And then he just says it right out front, bold-faced lie. You will not die. And so it begins, as so often happens, one lie begets another lie. And this train of lies begin, not with just the serpent, but then with Adam, when God comes into the garden and says, where are you? And I've said so often, God knows, so he's not, he's not asking for information, he's trying to get a confession. Where are you? Adam says, I was naked and I hid myself, which was sort of true. The real truth was what? We disobeyed. I didn't protect my wife from the serpent. And I'm lying about it now. And everybody points fingers, Adam to Eve, Eve to the serpent. Serpent doesn't have anybody to blame. But so begins the lies that recur not only from Genesis 3, but all the way through the Bible, this tension between truth and lies. Why does it matter? What does God care about truth for? I mean, is it realistic to tell the truth all the time? Come on, pastor. I mean, really? I mean, you know, all those terms and conditions that says, I have read and agreed to all these things. Do you read them all? And what about, you know, I haven't seen the movie Liar, Liar, but I feel like I have because I've seen so much about it where the guy cannot tell anything but the truth. So every time he's asked a question, he comes out with it. Exactly what, can you imagine if all of us really did that, if we really told the truth? Like if you, if you could actually say, pastor, I've really been wanting to tell you, your, your jokes are lame and your clothes, I don't like them. <laughs> or you're in the lobby and, and you know, somebody comes up to you and say, man, you've got really bad breath, do you know that? Just like first thing. You think it, I mean, it's the truth. Is this what we're talking about? Or when, when, you're, when you ask your wife, you say, honey, I, I'm wondering, did you wash my clothes in hot water? Did you put my jeans in the dryer? And she thinks, no, he can't handle the truth. It's not that the hot water shrunk anything, it's that you've gotten bigger. <laughs> or when somebody says, what's wrong with you? Oh, nothing. Really? You telling the truth? Or let's get a little bit more close to home, Christians. Somebody gives you some bad news and you put those praying hands there emoji. Are you really praying? Hmm. 
Why does it matter? Because words matter to God. What we say with our tongues and what we say with our thumbs matters to God. Why? Because it's not possible to have an authentic relationship with anybody unless it's built on honesty, and so it is with God. We cannot have a relationship with God built on lies because truth begins and ends with God. He's the author of truth. He can't tell a lie. Numbers 23 and 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. He can't tell a lie. So the way of truth begins and ends with God. But because of the fall, we are tempted to self-protection. This is what Adam did. He's protecting himself. We hide, and so what is the result? We hide what's really going on inside, and we also deflect and lie about others to make ourselves look better. And what is the end result? The end result is that we're not walking in truth. John, the best friend of Jesus, in 1 John chapter one, and we're gonna park here for a little bit, so I'd love for you to open your Bible to 1 John. 1 John verses one, eight through 10, here's what John says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth. Let me start it again. Preaching to me too, guys. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, we protect ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just Oh, this is good. Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from, I love this word right here. Say it with me. All. All unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. God doesn't lie. His word is not in us. So John says, here's what we do when we don't tell the truth to God. If we say we have no sin, we're lying. We make God to be a liar. So we're not living in truth when we say, I'm good, and we aren't. When we spin things and say, hey, well, you know, it's not like I murdered anybody, it's just words. I just tell it like it is. Oh man, haven't we heard that? I'm just giving a piece of my mind. Like one of my old pastors used to say, don't give a piece of your mind away, you don't have a lot to give away. when we aren't honest about ourselves because life begins where the lies end. This is what John is saying. And doesn't Jesus say, John 8 and 32, you'll know the truth, a lot of us know this verse, you'll know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But first it might make you a little miserable. When you're honest about yourself, about your stuff, when we start getting honest about each other, John 14 and six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So this is God's nature, is, is truth. So Jesus demonstrates this in the way he talks about prayer, the way he talks about how we should live, and John is reflecting this in 1 John chapter one, but Jesus tells a story, a parable, to demonstrate this. You guys might know the parable of the publican 
and the Pharisee. In the parable of the publican and the Pharisee, Jesus tells about two men who go to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee is standing by himself, and as he's praying, he's got one eye on God and one eye over there. He's he's like thinking about God, praying to God, but he's also thinking about this guy over there. And this is a religious man. Pharisees were highly religious. They were devoted to God. They kept the law. They kept the rules. They kept the Ten Commandments to to the T, man. They could do it. And as he's praying, he's saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like that guy. But I fast twice a week. I pay my tithes. I bring food for back by the bumper. I serve in the nursery twice a month. And I just want to thank you. That sounds okay, doesn't it? Problem. He's got one guy, one eye on God and one eye on this guy. This is the nature of untruth, of spin, in that like, unlike covetousness where we look and we wish we had the life that somebody else has, we see the best of what they have and wish for that. Lying does the opposite. We look and try to find the worst in them because of self-protection. So that's what this guy's doing. He says, God, thank you. I'm not like this guy. And Jesus says, but the publican, the, the guy who was rejected by many of the religious people because he collected taxes and worked for the government, who was despised the Roman government, he's down on his knees, on his face, and he's, he's doing this, and he's saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And here's what Jesus says, the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes. So he's not concerned about the other guy over here praying. He's got his eyes on God. And he's looking at himself and he's got God compared to you. I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. And here's what Jesus says about the guy who tells the truth about himself. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. One guy goes away, so what does justified mean? It means that a person is now safe with God. You're a friend of God, you're accepted. That God knows your business and he hears you and he forgives you and he says, I don't condemn you anymore. You're safe with me. This man goes down his, can you imagine as he gets up and walks away, maybe a little bounce in his step, maybe feeling a little lighter, just knowing, as the old song says, at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and all the burdens of my heart rolled away. Suddenly, like, man, 10,000 pounds off of his back. I'm forgiven. I'm accepted. And Jesus says, this is the way to get there, is to come clean with God, to be honest with God. Real life begins where lies end. John continues. First John 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him. And declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. 
Verse seven, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. What is the, what is the, what is the prerequisite? If we confess, if we say, God, I'm a sinner, and this isn't just for people coming to Christ to give themselves to Christ. It's something that Christians should continually do. We're gonna practice it in a few minutes, give you and me opportunities, this wonderful joy that we have. We get to confess our sins and God is able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we have genuine fellowship with one another. We're no longer walking in the dark, we're no longer trying to find our way around, but we're coming clean with God and with each other and so we walk in the lights this is the big yes behind this commandment. The gospel of self-protection means that we walk in a distance from each other. It means that we walk in distance from God. When we lie about ourselves and others, the gospel of Jesus says that we are accepted and we are loved, and because of that, I am free to love you because I really trust you, because we've walked this road of confession together, and we begin to walk in freedom. Ephesians 4 and 25, Pastor Josiah taught on it Wednesday night. I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Where Paul the Apostle says it like this, in his frame of reference, is talking about this commandment when he says, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So again, awesome. Some of you are going, yay, I get to tell the truth. I get to finally say what's on my mind. Well, sort of, because the next phrase says, for we are members of one another. So we speak the truth in a spirit of love and meekness, understanding that we've got our stuff too, just as anyone else does. We are members of one another. Another translation says because we are members of the same body. What do you do when you smash your toe? I know you hold your tongue, but what else do you do? You like wrap it up. You put on a boot. You protect it. You're like, you're being careful. You don't want to hit it again. We are members of one another. Shouldn't we have that same kind of spirit that when we know that someone has sinned or they're coming back from something that we, we don't like, hey, I'm just sharing this with you so you can pray. Are you? <laughs> or do you, as, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, love covers a multitude of sins. We cover one another, we protect one another. So our spirit is not one of, hey, I've got some good, juicy stuff to tell you. No, it's like, hey, that's my, that's my family member. That's my brother in Christ. That's my sister in Christ. So I'm going to protect them because we are a fellowship one with another. So how should we treat each other in a gospel community? There should be honesty. There should be protection for each other. A confession to God first so we come clean with God and then come clean with each other. 
What does that look like? James 5 and 16, confess your faults one to another. I know there's some mainline churches that have taken this to mean you've got a couple of real holy people that you confess to and they tell you you're forgiven. I'm not here to make fun of that, but my friends, this is written to Christians in general, that the way to healing, the way to wholeness includes this piece. Confess your faults to one another. And many years ago, I had a profound experience with this. There was a pastor teaching on this passage and he, and he looked at the crowd and he says, some of you are not getting the healing emotionally that you need and it's because you will not let anyone in and tell what's really going on. You will not talk about what happened to you or what you did and therefore the healing of God cannot come to your heart. So we're gonna give you an opportunity to do that. And he said, I want you to write down some things that you just can't seem to let go of. And this many years ago, and I, I took out a piece of paper and I started writing down some of this stuff. Man, I was trembling. I was like, oh God, what are we gonna have to do? He says, now I want you to go up and pray with someone. I thought, well, here we go. I took that little piece of paper up there to the front and this guy looked at me, I didn't know him. Started, he looked at it, he says, here's what I think about that and he just tore it up in a bunch of tiny, tiny pieces and put it on the floor and looked at me and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, brother, you are forgiven, let it go. I'm telling you, friends, it was like heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Something snapped. Something triggered on the inside of me that finally, I knew it here. I knew what the Bible said, but when someone looked at me and said, in Jesus' name, you are forgiven. I experienced James 5, 16. Ray Ortland Jr., great pastor, author, he said, the most important trait in a gospel culture is honesty. And I say amen. We can't have a gospel community where we say we believe the good news of Jesus Christ and not practice honesty and truthfulness. He went on to tell about a men's meeting they've, they've been having several weeks in a row, for months actually. He said it was good, learning the Bible on a Tuesday night, like a hundred men, pretty good learning going on, theology. He said, but there was no grace. It was like we're just going through the motions. And he said, he stood up one night and he said, guys, we need more grace on our meetings. And I think part of the problem is that we're not coming clean with each other. And she said, I'm gonna ask you to do something that's really bold. I'm gonna ask you to take something that's been triggered in your mind as I've been talking about sins of the past and I want you to tell it to another brother in Christ, somebody around you, and confess your sins to one another. Well, can you imagine what happened? Like the air was sucked out of the room. We're gonna actually do that? Nobody moved, and then one guy started moving, somebody else started moving, somebody else, and this 
big dump truck of grace just was poured out on that meeting. And he said, it totally changed our church. I want you to relax, guys. I'm not gonna ask you to do that this morning. But I want you to know this. That kind of stuff is happening here. It's happening in our prayer circles. It's happening in our life groups. It's happening on Thursday night at Celebrate Recovery, where people are standing up in front of a little circle and saying, hey, this is my life, I'm ashamed of it, and somebody looking at you and saying, hey brother, you're still family, I forgive you, Jesus forgives you, now get up and go and sin no more. I'm telling you, it's powerful. And I think it's starting to happen. I really do. I'm not making this up. I sense a new wave of grace coming on our church, and I think this is a piece of it, that we're learning how to confess our faults one to another and come clean with God and walk in the light as he is in the light. But in a world that says real men don't cry, we find the shortest verse in the Bible reminds us Jesus wept. In a world that says you can't let them see your weaknesses, Paul says our weakness is made perfect in the strength of God, 1 Corinthians 12 and 9. What if there was a place where you could really tell the truth, where you could be yourself, do you have any friends like that where it's like you go over their house and they say, and you just know, you can go to the fridge and help yourself. And you can take off your shoes and nobody's gonna say, well, what are you doing that for? You can like meander around the house and they're like not following you around. What are you doing? Isn't that a good feeling? You just feel at home. What if there was a place like that? Spiritually, there is the house of grace, where we're honest with God and we're honest with each other. So I was trying to think of ways that we might respond this morning and, and for you and me. What if there was a place, what if there was a way that we could just walk in this? So I was thinking of some action steps and I would say first that you would Get clean with God. Get honest with God. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Just like this man who's down on his face. God, have mercy on me. Have you done that? That's first. Might mean this morning you come, you kneel on these steps and just say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I know we're saints, saved by grace. I know we're not still sinners technically. But when we sin, to admit it, and it's such a good feeling to me to be able to say, God, I've blown it, have mercy on me, and I sense the mercy of God. Have you done that? Are you doing it on a regular basis? God, have mercy on me. Secondly, get honest with others. Confess your faults to one another. So that may mean, you know, not find, you know, somebody else who's watching porn and you say, hey, we're both together. We're kind of helping each other. He watches porn. And, but we're both saying, I forgive you, buddy. No, not that kind of forgiveness. Get with somebody who's walked the road of victory and tell them, man, 
I'm, this is happening to me. I want, I want to get free. Or I've, I've got a problem with being on social media too much. Man, it's messing with my mind and I'm just, I'm finding myself envious of others. Would you hold me accountable? Find an older brother, older Christian in Christ. Tell him. Or find a Christian counselor. It's like something really deep in your soul. And you say, well, that, that might cost me a little bit. Be the best $100 you've ever spent <laughs> for somebody to look at you and say, hey, tell me what you did in your life. And here's what I know. Get somebody who knows the Bible, believes in Jesus. Tell them. Here's thirdly, man, what if our conversations, what we say with our tongues and our thumbs, what if it was more filled with the gospel? I mean, think about the last five posts you've done on media. How many of them were ranting? (laughs) How many of them were complaining? So you got an opinion on Travis Kelsey. All right. But what about spreading some encouragement? Ephesians 5. Ephesians 4 and 25, rather. 4 and 29. Both of those, put falsehood away from you. Only speak that which is encouraging and ministering grace. What if you just made, hey, just for the next seven days, let's not like go crazy here. Let's just go, how about for seven days, I'm gonna post encouragement. I'm gonna post a picture of somebody say, man, this person has meant so much to me and they've helped me in my life. Hey, just a thought, guys. I can see you're like, no, don't ask because that's way overboard, Pastor. No, we're members of one another. Lastly, not only gospel-filled conversation, but excel at encouragement. Just with one another. You know, Romans 12 and 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This is a way you can say, hey, I, I can outdo somebody, man. I'm gonna outdo you. I'm gonna show more honor than you do. You get permission to do that. What, can you imagine the, the way that would change your relationships, our church? Imagine how it would change the world. It just boatloads of honor. Honor up, down, sideways, older people, younger people. Just showing honor and preference, encouragement. I think it would change us. This is God's heart. Walk in truth. Walk in light. So we're going to respond today. We've reserved some time here at the end for us to do business with God. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that would highly embarrass you, but some of you go, man, this has just been hanging on me and I, I feel like I need to tell somebody and just hear what Jesus would say to me. So I'm gonna ask some, a few deacons, a couple of elders to be up here. If you wanna pray with someone, it says, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Perhaps God will do something in your heart this morning or you just wanna come and kneel and get clean with God to say, God, here I am. Forgive me, have mercy on me. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. So would you stand with me this morning as we sing?
Thanks again for joining us. You can check out thecrosspoint.com for more resources like this.